All right. Oh, 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 oh. One, two, one, two, one, two, three. Okay, Sababa. Let's do this. Let's do this. Hey, man. Hey, are we ready for this? Oh. This is how I'm starting. How dare you? How dare you? You don't have some? I have some wine. <laughs> too early, too Hi. early. Cheers. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He then poured himself a glass of whiskey. Lafroig. Like the man that he is. Lafroig 10. What, what? Um, yeah, I need a whiskey after a day like this. It was rough, man. Yeah, you had a, quite a day. Yeah, so you hooked it up. Basically, it was an organized tour of the Gaza perimeter. Um, the where, places where the massacre took place. Yeah, they took us. They took us uh, to Gaza, to um, the site of the music festival, um, to Netivot, which is one of the cities in the Gaza, in the surrounding area, the Gaza periphery. And uh, in Netivot, we met the mayor of Netivot. Netivot was like. Uh, um, wasn't really impacted, meaning Hamas didn't manage to infiltrate. They got, they came to Netivot, but they didn't manage to get in because they were ready. And so they kind of explained how they how they were ready and why they were ready. And they also they also kind of absorbed a lot of the wounded and mm -hmm. refugees from the music festival, the people who fled from the music festival. And then in Netivot, we also saw the location of a rocket. Um, where, uh, where a rocket hit, where uh, a kid, a father, and a grandfather all died from one hit. And uh, the, they were all in the same apartment, and they all died. Um, Falaza, 52 people, I think, is the death toll right now. There's 13 still missing. Uh, I think something like seven kidnapped and several wounded. And, so how is it like there? And the music festival was the was the worst. I mean, I, I'm assuming everybody knows the news by now, but uh, the music festival was a, just an absolute massacre. 260 people were massacred. It was. Uh, it, it's like it's mixed because, like, on one hand, it was kind of sterile. It was kind of sterilized. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like it. It's obviously horrific to. And it's it, it kind of puts you face to face because you look at the scenes and you realize this is where Kfaraza was by far the worst. Kfaraza, you see the homes right up front. You see just mere destruction, and the the they're burnt. Half of them are in rubble because you know they came in with grenades and RPGs. And I think also when when we fought back, probably a lot of damage was caused. Um, but the whole, it just looks like a war zone. And then what's horrifying about it is that in Faraza, these, these homes that we, that we visited there, everybody who lives in Israel has been on a kibbutz knows this. There's always the youth apartments, where to the kibbutz is a communal living. So they they have different sections of the kibbutz, right? And not everybody gets a home immediately. What happens is usually there's a section of the kibbutz, which is like, little apartments and that's for the young families, young adults and young families. And so you realize that there were 
couples there, you know, who had just had a baby like me and Sharon or had two kids or three kids even sometimes. And they're living in these small little houses and they were the first line and they just came and destroyed everything. And killed everyone. And killed everyone and I say and kidnapped some. And I think that's why there was such a high death toll of children in Kvalaza because they got to the youth apartments. So that was just devastating to see. Um, there was also, a, there was, there was smell. And I think it was from actually the rotting terrorists. They didn't pick them up, which was a little good to hear. We talked to one of the soldiers. He said, that's not a priority for us right now to pick up the dead terrorist bodies. So they're letting them rot. He told us that in one of the sites, the chickens are eating the terrorists. I said, that's, that's too much of an honor for them to be chicken food. Yeah. But, um, anyway, so that was rough. What's the, what's the image you're taking from this visit? Like the one image that like stuck with me? Yeah. I think it was Kvalaza. I think it's that, that one, like, I hear a siren. There's okay. a siren. So I got to go. Okay. Give me a minute. I know. Back. What's up? Still in one piece. Yeah. Well, the, the, the worst part about it is that our bomb shelter is Daniela's room. So you got to be completely silent. Like going quietly when you close the door, the bomb shelter door guys is this massive door that like you have to like pull on really hard to lock because it like locks airtight. So yeah. it's like it's not an easy door to close and it makes a lot of noise and clanking. She's like, so we're like both trying to run for our lives and protect ourselves from a rocket and also not wake the baby. We're like, <laughs> we're not sure which is worse. Yeah, exactly. Forget your lives. Like you can sacrifice your lives. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. Anyway, um, anyway, no, it's isn't it insane that three weeks into the war, they still have launching capabilities. It's crazy. And what they have is like a fraction of what Hezbollah has. And we're not, you know, we're not in my eyes. We're not doing enough to show them who's boss. But. Um, <laughs> Anyway, we were talking about what I saw. Kfaraz, I think, was the worst. There's, um, there was this, this bus in the music festival site that was overturned because the, the army actually turned it over. It was, it was on the wheels. And they realized, you know, there were so many charred bodies and burned bodies and, like, bodies that were in, weren't even bodies. They were just pieces of, I think, oh. that... Yeah, pieces of bodies. Anyway, so they realized that, you know, there were there were bodies underneath. They lifted the truck and they found just remnants of bones. And so they didn't really know who it was, but they identified them by their wedding rings. And there was two two people, a man and a woman, probably you know, everybody there was young, so probably recently married. They were hiding under the bus. They were hiding under this minivan. And someone probably either shot and killed them and then burned the bus or shot an RPG at the minivan or whatever. And 
they they died together at least, but they died. Um. So yeah, I was. It's one thing reading about it, and another thing being there and seeing the the scenes. Yeah, it did feel a bit. I mean, I don't know. I just couldn't help feel the ster- ster- sterility of it, like. You know, because there's been a thousand, thousands of people through there cleaning up yeah. the bodies and raking the fields of like every, all the pieces of evidence. I mean, obviously it's not like a forensic crime scene, but a lot of people went through and it's not, you know, untouched. Um, and there's a feeling that some of the stuff was left there in order to be sp- talked about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not not that that's a bad thing, but it just it gives this sense that like you're going it's very organized and you're going through like exhibits almost, you know what I mean? And so I don't know, something felt a little weird about it, but like when it hits you, it hits you. And the the organizer of the trip is uh, Danny Danon, the member of Knesset Danny Danon, um, and uh, and his team um, basically put it together. They got a bunch of Social media, people from social media, Avi Yamini was there from Rebel News, I-24 people, there was a Japanese journalist, there were some uh, Instagram influencers, Israeli Instagram influencers, and this nice Jewish boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Influencer amongst divorced middle-aged. Felt felt very weird, uh, felt very fish out of water, but... uh, (laughs) But it was worth it, and um, yeah, so it was rough, rough day. But um, to me, it's it's just it's not about sharing it with the world. Like I think the reason they brought influencers is because they wanted they want us to help out with Hasbara. Which most of the influencers like that's what their mission statement and that's what they're doing there. But how do you feel about the whole Hasbara? Yeah, we've talked about this. I feel like it's just us. Like there's something so sad about us groveling for validation and justification. Yeah. Like if you really, someone who really is confident about the righteousness of their actions doesn't need that. And I think it's directly tied to our reliance on U.S. support. It's like a manifestation of our need for validation of international support. By now, it, it's, uh, you know, the best analogy I can think of is like mass masturbation. You know, in the, in the first days, okay, you know, you want to the world to see what happened, understandable but by now three weeks later still i see influencers new video about the horrors of hamas like everybody already like those who know know those who don't believe it don't believe it so you we only do it for ourselves to feel good about ourselves and to feel like we're doing something yeah you know, all those all those because guys you gotta understand like there are dozens of of Hasbara like initiatives and and uh, like PR agencies and and media companies 
who opened a, a Hasbara, you know, initiative. And like everyone tries to do Hasbara, Hasbara, Hasbara. And, and the messages are all the same. Also, the messages are, are feeble, in my opinion. They're feeble. Why? They're feeble. They're wrong. Like Hamas, it, it, they're all centered. We talked about this also, I think, last time. But it's all centered around Hamas. And it creates this differentiation between Palestinians and Hamas, between Gaza and the Palestinian Authority. And there is more and more material coming out to kind of shed light on on the fact that there is no real differentiation, like that 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 phone call between the Hamas terrorist and his mother and father who are praising him for having killed ten Jews. Um like the fact that Israeli intelligence, which is something that um, that we discussed on the tour today, um, and I sort of got confirmation from Danny Danon about this from the member of Knesset. He said that you know from the there's no official intelligence that they can say this guy gave information, but from the from the information that the terrorists had on their body on their bodies, like the maps and the intelligence they had the intelligence they had the maps the names of the families how many people are in each family whether they have a dog or not and what kind of dog where what the location of the weapons uh the arm the armis uh whatever the arsenal the is the armory um all that all that intelligence suggests that they had to have someone that was in the kibbutz and you don't have hamas people in the kibbutz you have Gazans who come across the border with work permits. Civilians, air quotes. Civilians. So you have people who have been permitted to come into Israel and work and who have some of these people, I mean, some of the families from these these villages are talking about the people that these people were 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 uh, you know, part of the family, were B'nai Bait, were like, you know, uh, welcome, basically, whenever they wanted into their homes, they knew them. One of them, one woman talks about this guy named Khalil, and she knows him. He was their gardener, um, and, and and also the so. commander, the commander that was giving us the tour, was saying that many of these people that lived in these villages, and I think he was talking a bit like judgmental, and I understand him not in a bad way, but he was kind of being judgmental of their naivete, like their being them being naive. He said, people here. We're waiting for peace and we're hoping for praying for the day where they could uh, buy hummus in Gaza, where they could buy hummus in Gaza, but invite those families from Gaza, like Khalil's family, mm -hmm. over for Shabbat and have dinner with them. I don't think I have to correct myself, though. I don't think he was judgmental. He was really he was one of the most amazing people I've seen, man. And that's that's the consolation. It's like seeing that we have people like that, you know, leading the charge. Those are our commanders. They're such amazing people. I don't think he was just mental. I think he was trying to praise just them. Hitting the back. He was just he was trying to he was actually praising them for how peaceful they are. What kind of people we have compared to what kind of people they have. Our people are are there was a family who had a kite that said peace in three different languages. That's a problem though. That's why this happened. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Well, I think he because they they want war and we want peace 
yeah, maybe you're... That's our strength and that's our weakness. Yeah, yeah. But also about the civilians, uh, there's footage showing clearly, and now we know already, that many of the raiders were civilians, including uh, disabled people. In one of the videos, you see someone on a... Like, a, like Theo Vaughn calls it uh, polio chopsticks. Tell <laughs> me. Polio chopsticks. So you see, uh, you see someone on polio chopsticks like dingling inside the kibbutz raided. You see, you see like women. You see young people, underage people. Yeah. Ouring from Gaza to raid, to rape, to kill. Yeah, because you have to understand that if you kidnap someone in uh, in Gaza, they, they there's there's footage of the uh, Hamas terrorists who were captured. If you kidnap someone from Gaza, you get an apartment. An apartment, yeah, ten thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm a poor Gazan, and if I'm a poor Gazan and I have no soul. Which most Gazans don't, poor or not, they don't have souls. Um, then I would do the same, but you know, unfortunately, I have a soul. Uh, so yeah, the, how do you see? Like you've been very frustrated. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, I uh... schmeckles. I'm very frustrated with the response. I'm very frustrated with the response. I was talking about this. I don't see a harsh enough response. I think, I think BB's reaction initially should have been, you know, you have 72 hours to return all hostages home safely and surrender unconditionally, or Gaza is going to turn into a hell hole. And all of you, Every last one of you will either be hiding underground or will be dead. Like, he should have said that. He should have even said you, your families, your loved ones, your children, your wives, your parents, your grandparents. Even if it means no American support. No I, yeah, I, don't, I don't understand. No, me. wait, wait. No... Like if I told you the 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 consequence would be that we will have two weeks of of ammo, for example, or uh, you know, and after two weeks we'll have no ammo. Would you would you do it? You don't know that that's the consequence. No, no, it's a it's a hypothetical. So, hypothetical. but there's no way you can know that. You don't know that at any point in time. You say you're saying, "What if I say that that's a risk?" Yeah. Okay. A risk. So a risk. I would say, let's find a solution. Okay. Let's talk to whoever we need to talk to, and let's find more ammo. Yeah. Talk to I don't know the Cambodians. Like I'm sure there's enough ingenuity and and creativity in the Israeli war machine to come up with solutions. Like America is not our, it's not the end all be all. 
Like, I, no, we, we rely on them too heavily. What I don't understand is there's 224 people in Gaza. Some of them, there's a three-year-old child in Gaza today who's both her parents were murdered and her brother and her sister are orphans in Israel right now. Three-year-old child. She's in Gaza alone. How can you weigh American interests? Like when you're, you know, that there's people saying, bring them home. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. But I'm saying, how, like, you can't just say bring them home. That's what it means to bring them home is putting down a credible threat, making demands. And if they don't meet the demands, being able to follow up on your threat. Yeah. They're not going to just bring back that three-year-old. They're not going to be like, okay, you know what? Here we go. No, they might, but at a price. Yeah. And then what is that? The price is our, like, to me, it's our failure. It's our complete failure. Like, the price would be, the price they would ask would put us in a position where we are so weak you know, that that it will actually threaten our existence. I just had this discussion today with a friend. I told her basically what you just said. And and yeah, and she was like, You cannot you cannot demolish Gaza where you have two hundred people there. And I was like, if you want to get them back, like it's like the saying, if you want peace, prepare for war. It's exactly the same. If you want them back, give up on them. Act as if, you know, de- demand that they come, but act as if they're as good as, it's, it's, it's hard to say, but, you know, you have to fight Gaza like they're not, they're not a consideration. Yeah. Because, once, because it's, it's, it's a catch-22. Once you take them into account, right, you cannot do what must be done. No, that that is the mentality that incentivized hostage taking to begin with. Exactly. You you think about the two hundred. What about the next two thousand or the twenty thousand that will come? Why did they take hostages in the first place? Because they knew that we would react this way. Yeah, which is why I think it's a mistake to get involved with Qatar. Today there was a headline that Iran is also. I don't know if it's true. Iran is also involved. To get involved with Qatar, to get involved, Qatar, Qatar is Iran, Qatar is Hamas. It, it's, it's uh, you know, you don't negotiate. I think in the end of the day, you don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah, I think Iran is looking at it and saying, you know, we thought we needed to beat the great Satan. But like currently the great Satan is being led by this bumbling idiot who even after we slaughtered and beheaded babies is like, oh, two-state solution. Maybe we don't need to beat the great Satan. Maybe we just need to bring him over onto our side. You know what I mean? If you can't beat them, bring them over. I honestly think he's like, they're like, well, you know, if we just play a little bit of uh, a little bit of the nice guy and we make Biden, who's so just completely stupid... He's just beyond stupid. He's mentally disabled. 
If maybe if we just make him, maybe if we do something that'll possibly look like we're nice, he'll be like, "Oh, I ran. They're not so bad." I mean, he did try to, like, he did strive and did everything in his power to strike a deal with them. So, yeah, I but, honestly. But yeah, but back to the the whole hostage. So, guys, what you need to understand is now there is a huge campaign, huge campaign. In, in my opinion, funded by the same people who funded the anti-reform campaigns. That's that's my theory. Those are, It's just like the campaign, so much money is pouring into it. And the campaign basically says, we got to bring back the hostages. Now, we have zero, like we don't have anything, I, I think you can agree. Like the families, obviously they can do whatever they think and we're not in a place to judge them. But... There are so many people and organizations and politicians who ride on the backs of the families to a political end, to a political, uh, like they turn it into a, campaign, a political campaign. And basically what they say is, I just saw Merav Misaeli from, for the, from the Labor Party tweeting about it. We must yeah. be, bring them back in any, any means, in However, you know, in any way. Now, what they're implying is a deal. They yeah. want us to stand down, to not retaliate, and to negotiate with Hamas, with Qatar, and pay any price, including throwing all the terrorists we hold in our prisons. And stopping the war. And stopping the war and giving Gaza things like benefits, any price. That's what they're saying. Yeah, in the, end, do anything. in the end, in the end, if you say any price, what you mean is you should surrender to your enemy. Yeah. And then the question is, then look, I don't want to be cynical. Like, I don't know. But like you said, the families, I, we can't judge no, them. We're not talking about the families. We're talking no, but, I'm about saying, the but I'm saying it's the same thing. If Daniela was in Gaza, then obviously I would be singing a different tune. And... Every, I, I can't I don't know where the where where the line is to be drawn. Who's who's got genuine motivations and who doesn't? And I don't know. I'm so I'm gonna assume everybody's got genuine motivations. Everybody wants these people home. And we do too. Everybody wants these people home. The question is we have to be able to have an actual conversation about it and putting motivations aside, I'm gonna say everybody's motivations are genuine. Everybody okay. wants a good, a good outcome. Assume the best. But like you said, it once you say we need to bring them home at all costs, it means you've surrendered. It means you're willing to give them like that's that's you can't even if you do negotiate with terrorists, that can't be your that's the worst way to start a negotiation. Yeah. They should listen, they should listen to our plan to the to economize me. Yeah. No, seriously, it's the worst way. It's like walking into a job interview and, you know, being like, I will do anything. I will pay you. Yeah. First of all, I'm willing to do this for free. Yeah. No, now, not for free. Let's now. talk about price. Yeah. How, I asked for $20,000. <laughs> yeah. And nobody's going to pay you anything. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not even saying I'll work for free. It's saying I'll, I'll, I'll pay you to, to work for you. It's surrendering uh, if we say oh, we'll do anything. 
So I don't know. The other extreme is to say, you know, we've given up on them. I don't think we should give up on them. No, of course not. I think that we should. I think I think the right way to go is something I heard early on, I think, from uh, I don't remember who it was, but from one of the one of the uh, commentators or maybe it was an official uh, that there needs to be two completely parallel not, meaning non not touching two efforts one is to get the the kidnapped home and one is to wage war and they shouldn't ever collide meaning those considerations there's you know yeah perhaps only in very very specific cases meaning if we have intel that a kidnapped person is in a specific building okay then maybe we don't want to bomb that building that specific building but unless you unless you have intel like that you can't just assume all of gaza is ridden with our with our with our hostages cuz then you'll never be able to do anything i mean we we and been incentivize them to do it again and again yeah so i don't see the rationale or the logic behind the also we had uh, the minister of defense not the minister of defense sorry Benny Gantz, the new minister, who was the minister of defense. Today, he said, or yesterday, he said to people from the kibbutzim who were evacuated, don't, don't, and I'm quoting, don't rely on coming home this year. Just, what a... Uh... <laughs> I don't even know how to. No just, words. Yeah. No words. Yeah. What a disgrace. What a disgrace. It really is. And you know, we were in Netivot, and the mayor of Netivot was, he didn't speak so eloquently, but but he basically was saying, because Danny Danone was talking about the 120,000 that have been evacuated. I think both from the south and some have been evacuated from the north as well. Yeah. Uh, so, and Danny Dono was talking about it. And he stopped him and said, not us. Mm-hmm. Not us. He said, Netivot, 90% of the residents of Netivot are still here. And we're going to stay here. Mm-hmm. And I was, I wanted to freaking clap. It's too bad I didn't. Because he, you know, that is the kind of spirit that we need. We're not going mm-hmm. anywhere. I was uh, listening to Caroline Glick, who I think is brilliant, by the way. Um, but she was talking about, you know, why haven't we gone in yet? Why have we not started a land invasion? Like, why why are there not boots on the ground yet? And she was talking about the two, like whether time plays in uh, in favor is uh, is in like time is to our benefit, or whether we should you know uh, go in as soon as possible. Um, okay. And the thinking of time being in our favor is the fact that the Hamas is 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 bunkered down in these tunnels that they've dug, and if we go in and and send our troops in, they could get slaughtered, you know, because they'll just they'll 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 progress. They don't know where these tunnels are, and then Hamas will pop up from behind you. And the whole idea of like a military invasion. And conquering ground is to be able to clear and then move forward and clear. And you don't, you know that there's nothing behind you, 
right? You have to know that there's nothing behind you. Otherwise you're screwed. And the problem with tunnels is that you may, you move forward and there's, there's always a chance that someone that, you know, a hundred people are going to pop out of a tunnel behind you and then boom, you're surrounded. Um, so, so our soldiers are at risk of getting slaughtered if they go in. And the only way to clear the tunnels is to put a siege, uh, a, a blockade on Gaza and, and smoke them out basically meaning no food, no water, no nothing. And then they slowly start starving and they don't have air and they don't have water and they start coming out of the tunnels. But the problem is that Biden is, and Bibi are fucking us because they're letting in aid, which is supposedly humanitarian aid, but even food and water, as you can see, if diverted to the Hamas, squanders our, our, our efforts at war, right? Because... If we, if we're, if that food goes to Hamas, then we can't smoke them out of the, we can't, we can't uh, get them out of the tunnels. So that's the question of whether time is in our favor going in. But one thing that she didn't discuss, and I don't understand why, is why don't we just massively bomb the shit out of them? Why don't we level everything? Why don't we make it? Airplanes, by the way, you you have Totsanim, you have like tanks and and guns, like uh, martyrs and. All kinds of options. I mean, there's there's range, but yeah, I know there there are totchanim that have pretty far range, so you can definitely with some totchanim get get into Gaza. So why why are we not turning Gaza into a living, like, just hell on earth? Hiroshima. Why it, why are we not just flattening it to the ground? And Another thing is that if we eventually really want to rid ourselves of the Palestinian plague, then we need to, we're not going to be able to win the war and then put them on buses and ship them out. Although I would be fine with that, but I don't see that happening. What you need to do is create a situation in which people are fleeing. Yeah. Because we need to, in my mind, the aim of the the war has to be to conquer Gaza and to have as minimal Palestinian population there as possible by the end of the war. Or at least a significant portion of it. You know, Gaza City, the, the top 15 to 20 kilometers of the Strip. What do you think? Um... I'm for it, but I don't see it. But obviously, it's not realistic. It's not going to happen, not, not on this. I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. But there's definitely a consensus in Israeli society. Everybody, he talked about it last time. But there was an interview with a very impressive woman, young woman who was a survivor from one of the kibbutzim. Did you see her, the blonde one with blue eyes? And she would say, she would say, ah, I'm yes, not yes. coming back until I, I want to see from my home in one of the kibbutzim, I want to see the sea. Now, the sea view. And the, guys, if you don't know the geography, Gaza stands between the kibbutzim and the sea view. In order to see the sea, can't have Gaza there. Okay. Now, again, the, the, she's probably, you know, she probably voted for one of the leftist parties. 
when you hear this talk, what is she saying? Do you realize what she is saying is Kahana was right. That's what she says in live TV. Kahana was right. When you say, I want to see the sea for my home when I come back, you are saying Kahana was right. No? Am I wrong? No, 100%. Well, Which is I mean, amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Kahana advocated only for the Palestinian, not for Israeli Arabs. Said that we're not talking right now about Israeli Arabs. No, I'm saying, did he advocate for, for Israeli Arabs? For like to, to, he didn't advocate to deport Israeli Arabs. Not, not that I don't know. I don't, I'm not really familiar with the, with his, uh, but, but never mind. You get my point. Like my, okay. So she's not saying Kahana was right. She's saying, uh, Ben Gvir was right or whatever. Yeah. 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 She's saying basically get rid of them. One way or another, get rid of them. Yeah. And, um, but I don't think the military that's, res I don't think this military, our military as it is right now is capable, even if there was someone at the top giving the order, I don't think the command, I don't trust the commanders to execute such a command. I don't think, you know what I'm saying? I don't think we have the... I do. I do. Okay. I don't think that... Uh... But I think the same person that would give such a command would also have the balls to immediately discharge, dishonorably discharge anybody who uh, refuses Cannot. to carry out an order. Meaning the same guy who has the balls to tell them to flatten Gaza will have the balls to fire the commander who refuses to do so. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, maybe there'll be a commander or two who refuse to do so. But I don't think... I don't think... Uh... And also another thing that worries me is like how long can we... Because right now, econom the economy is in the shit. Like 350,000 people are drafted to reserves for three weeks. And it, we haven't even started. So we're looking at months of war. Um, and you know what's, what's like devastating is there was just an incursion, a small incursion to what they're saying prepare basically the 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 way the open the path and like make the conditions more suitable for a for a a, a land invasion right mm -hmm. they just had a couple of days ago a couple of tanks some d9 doze do a bulldozers and uh, uh went into gaza flattened out some uh fences and and kind of paved a road basically and and, and caused some damage in the entrance and killed a few terrorists and then came back out mm -hmm. and already. And in, in that, in that little incursion, which is supposed to be like risk-free, they killed a soldier. And I think wounded three. Not to mention the North, like they like, can, Yeah. But I'm saying like, can you imagine what's going to happen when we go in? Yeah. It's going to be, be a bloodbath. And why? Why are we willing to risk our, like, 
do we think that there's a more likelihood that we'll bring back the the hostages? Because the hostages are probably in the south also. Yeah, or in if, the tunnels. If not, like I don't know where. Yeah. Yeah, or in the tunnels. So I just don't get it. Another thing that that's been bothering me lately. I don't know about I don't know about you, but um, the whole together we shall win. We must be united. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I do. It's being united together. No, I'm not. I just, I worry that it's being understood wrongly. Because I think a lot of the we must be united is being translated into we can't have legitimate arguments and like disagreements about what's the correct way forward. We can't even talk about left and right. Right? Yeah. We have to be, I don't know. All forget about uh, and in the same time they basically what they say is forget about like what divided us like the reform yeah there is a, there is a testimony of a tank uh, driver from one of the kibbutzim did you see that <laughs> yesterday he was he was interviewed he was there on the on the morning of uh, this Shabbat he was in a tank. He saw people rushing through the fence and he didn't shoot because their orders were, were not to shoot at civilians. People who are not armed. Yeah. And those are the people who raped, murdered, and, and killed. And that's what the reform was about. That's what it was about. The the dictatorship of, of the of the counselors, of the legal counselors. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So I, I just feel like we need to be, but, but this is where I, this is what I think we were saying from the get go in the, uh, even during the protests and the demonstrations. United means being able to have disagreements, understanding that democracy is done through elections and consensus, meaning the majority rules and, and not, not disbanding the union because we have disagreements. Meaning being able to contain disagreements, Latin, to, to, to embrace the idea that we don't all agree. That's the whole idea yeah. of being a union. Let's all fall behind, behind one idea. Is, is fascist slash Korea. Yeah. So I think we should be united, but we should also hotly debate what is the right way forward. And and that's what I'm worried is that everybody's like, no, 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 let's all trust the leader or, and then we're falling into the same place because then people are like, we must trust the leader. And other people are like, no, the leader needs to pay for getting us into this mess. And then we're going into these two stupid camps. It's like, no, let's talk about what you think we should do. Because I think we'll all find that we're in agreement. We all want to fucking kill them all. And that's what we should do. Okay. <laughs> Nothing else right. to end. Okay. Uh, Let's all get behind Aitans. Let's all get behind Aitan. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, one of these days. One of these days. <laughs>
So, hopefully, I, I can. Let, let's just sum it up like this. I think one of the most consoling parts of this day is is seeing the type of people that we have on the ground. I have disagreements with the outlooks of certain people, and even that that you mean the mustache trend. The what? The mustache trend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like mustaches. No, but I'm saying very itchy when you kiss. <laughs> He's commander. Some people think I have a mustache, but it's just that yeah. all of this is white, uh -huh. so you can't see it. It's not a mustache. Okay. Anyway, even the commander that was talking about, you know, how good-hearted our people are, I think that it's naive naivety that's that's really at the heart of it, and ungood-heartedness, and that naive. It's not good to be naive. It's not a value to be naive. But anyway, point is, I have disagreements with with certain people, and I, I I might have I might think differently, but I think that we are like a good-hearted people that are strong, and I like you see that, you know, just going down to the Beth Kamad Junction, which is like 20 minutes outside of Gaza, and it's like where all the Miluimnikim and all the soldiers are coming together, and you just see it, dude. Like it's just it's a we're 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 a strong, good people. And I have confidence that, that we're going to make it out of this. I just hope that, that we do the right thing. Amen. Okay, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If thank you have you. Uh, comments, please write us, email us, leave a comment. On Spotify, you have a new comment tool, so you can comment on the episode on Spotify. Yeah. And uh, yeah, stay safe wherever you are. Amen. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye, Catch guys. Next one. Bye-bye.